requires an assessment that the pet of the pet based upon a physical exam to establish a VCPR. Okay, in that case, I haven't established one. Right. So that that's where I think they they want to be able to use it. But anyhow, I do think there's a place for it. I think it's a great for exotics. I think it's. I think we may have to develop a different type of relationship or define a different type of relationship for legal purposes. That's a, Well, this is where this all is sitting right now. It's sitting in a legal morass with a lot of money being spent to make it more accessible. And the question that, they, that they're using is that it, it may make it more accessible for lower income people or for people in, in outside of a two hour drive from a veterinarian all of these things need to be taken into consideration because the law has to be useful in downtown LA, downtown Orange County, and the middle of nowhere, Central Valley. The hair stands up in the back of my head. When I'm starting to use the downtrodden as the basis for my argument here. Well, guess uh, what? You know, because although I agree that it might improve access to care, for those. It also will improve access to care for the well-heeled who don't have time to bring their animal in every time he hiccups. You know, you, we don't need to make an economic disparity argument here. Well, you know that that's... Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. Hey, Phil, great to see you again. It's been a little while. Life keep goes keeps going on. We keep staying busy and and doing things. How's the how's your world today? Oh, speak for yourself. I'm not staying busy. I you know I ever since I stepped down as dean, things have slowed down a lot. But I am I'm doing I'm doing fine. It's, I've been enjoying my granddaughter for she's been in California for a week and finally decided to poke her head and let us see her now that she's a high school graduate and trying to figure out what to do in college. How are things going with your family? Everybody's doing great. Graduation for Brooke is coming up soon, and um, everything is good. Sharon and I just came back from a little bit of a vacation. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't catch it, Dr. Nelson said he has plenty of free time. So <laughs> feel free if you're looking for somebody who Dr. Nelson can fill in a role. There's a great opportunity, and I want to thank Nationwide for supporting us and for supporting my one-liners and our education and our conversations. Talking about the profession, the, the future of the profession and the future of education in general and veterinary medicine would be a good topic to address. All right. So we'll save this recording. And in 15 years, when we have hearing aids and, and somebody doing sign language for us, we'll see how well you did. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not sure when I'm on a defibrillator and, and oxygen that I will care. <laughs> I, 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 I may not even be able to laugh at myself after. <laughs> well, you may, that's all that you may be doing is laughing at yourself. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, at some point, when I look at the, when I look at what Antec has done in uh, diagnostic pathology in terms of quality control, I wonder how many pathologists are we going to need in the near future? I mean, essentially, you know, when when we started Western, 
they had an error rate of 14 to 27% when the, in, in reading slides. And they were focusing on training their techs to reduce that error rate, right? Now they have AI software that essentially screens the slides and all they look for is abnormalities. I'm sorry, all they look for is normality. When they find something abnormal, they kick the slide out. They take a picture of what they see that doesn't fit their parameters and they kick the slide out. And then the technician, and so now the technician is only focusing on abnormal slides. Now, the good news is the computer sees the entire slide. If it finds nothing but normality, then you're okay. There's a 99% chance that you are fine or your pet is fine. If your slide gets kicked out, there's still a 50-50 chance that you're okay. So the tech then looks at it. If the tech knows what's wrong, the tech makes a diagnosis. If the tech doesn't, then it goes to a clinical pathologist. You're um, addressing imaging, which basically will become do it from the basement of your house, as well as pathology, same thing is going to be definitely the future. But I also appreciated the fact that the physical part of physical exam, at least for the moment, still yep. requires touching an animal. Yep. So I don't think we can ever lose that component in veterinary medicine and this whole discussion of telehealth, which we're not going to address today. Um, I am... I don't, I don't want to say adamant. I'm just very uncomfortable with the concept of establishing a veterinary client-patient relationship without the physical component of the examination. See, I'm not. I, I Don't get me wrong. I just, I accept the limitations of telehealth. Right. Okay. And I think a mother knows when to take consultation over the telephone. Right. And when to take the baby to the hospital. I agree. And I think whether the baby is a puppy or a baby, it it will work that way. And I and I think that I can educate my clients better through my vet tech over the telephone for a minute or two. I actually think there's a avenue for better care because now you're more likely to seek my advice, to seek my guidance. So that, you know, uh, because I'm okay if you don't come in, if I'm comfortable with making a suggestion over the phone. If I'm not, then I have to say, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do this from here. You're going to have to come in. So you're comfortable with kind of a triage basis. Yes. Okay, which is different than... That's, um, that, that's telehealth. I know, but what, okay. what, what some of the companies want is the ability to do a physical examination and prescribe antibiotics for a skin condition without even really seeing the skin except through a telephone. Yeah, I know. And I'm not I'm I'm not drawing the line. I don't know what those lines are. Yeah, and that and that's where the that's where the, the comfort level I have no problem with it needs to be seen or it doesn't need to be seen. But if it doesn't need to be seen, I'm not going to prescribe medication. Oh, see, I'm, I'm, I am saying that. I am saying if I don't think I need to see this, 
I think I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure this is what you got. Right. And therefore I can prescribe what you need to do. Okay. And so ultimately you you're willing to accept that level of liability then. As yes. Well. I'm also I'm also gonna say and call and and I'm gonna call you or you're gonna call me in two, three days so I can see it again. Okay. Well, I until we start to more clearly clarify the rules, which was yeah. nicely nicely redundant there, we are in a wild west right now when it comes to telehealth. Well, I, I'm sure, yeah, but that, but again, even now, you and I have different. See, I share your fear about uh, just opening the doors, but at the same time, I have confidence in the guardian. I mean, see, this is the same person that we used to complain about going to Google first and then coming in thinking they, they they understand what's going on. I may not like that behavior, but I recognize it is out of concern for their pet, right? And that is what I'm counting on. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to do is co-opt that behavior in, to the best interest of the patient. And if I can communicate with the client more through technology, I'm saying that the out that I can improve the outcomes of most of 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 that patient's needs than if they have to spend four hours catching the animal, bringing the animal to me, and then taking it back home just so I can write a prescription. A, a lot of utilizations that I'm comfortable with, but if I've never seen that client. Okay, now that's that. totally different. Right. But now, if I've never seen that client and they call me and and say, my dog just ate a jar of melatonin, mm -hmm. and they show me the dog, and the dog's pretty mellow because of all the melatonin <laughs> is, you know, I will say, look, chances are nothing's going to happen, but call me back in like three hours. Or if something happens before then, call me back. That'll cost you thirty dollars. That'll be right, and I'll send you. A, I'll send. I'll send you a bill. Right. But it's not about the making the money. It's about. Mm. I, and I don't think it's wrong to say I've started a client-patient relationship here. Okay, so you have established a VCPR. You have no pulse, no respiration, no temperature. No, I don't. No, I've I've established a relationship, but I haven't done a physical. Right. All right. Now, currently, I believe the Practice Act requires an assessment that the pet of the pet based upon a physical exam to establish a VCPR. Okay, in that case, I haven't established one. Right. So that that's where I think they they want to be able to use that. But anyhow, I do think there's a place for it. I think it's a great for exotics. I think it's. I think we may have to develop a different type of relationship or define a different type of relationship for legal purposes. That's a, Well, this is where this all is sitting right now. It's sitting in a legal morass with a lot of money being spent to make it more accessible. And the question that they're, that they're using is that it, it may make it more accessible for lower income people or for people in, in outside of a two hour drive from a veterinarian all of these things need to be taken into consideration because the law has to be useful in downtown LA, downtown Orange County, and the middle of nowhere, Central Valley. The hair stands up in the back of my head. When I'm starting to use the downtrodden 
as the basis for my argument here. Well, guess uh, what? You know, because although I agree that it might improve access to care for those, it also will improve access to care for the well-heeled who don't have time to bring their animal in every time he hiccups. You know, you, we don't need to make an economic disparity argument here. Well, you, you know, know that that you know that's what's being used. I know. I, I hear you. I, and I and, and I'm not saying that it's it's a bad thing. It's it's just not it's not the the trump card. Oh, I use Ooh, that. Can you can I, use a different term? I use that word again. Damn it. Um <laughs> <laughs> So so my point is is that um I think we can solve a lot of this if we develop different legal terms. I, I concur. And if we take the money off the table and start having a discussion without lawyers and lawyers, guns and money, because that's really what this is being all driven by. So. Well, I don't know. We get, no, see, you can't take the law, the lawyers off out the table when you're trying to come up with legal terms for them. Maybe certain lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> so one, see, they, one, then one you go one. again, you know, now you're muddling the water again. All yeah, I'm saying well, is, the one with all, the all I'm saying is, a digital relationship doesn't have to be a VCPR. Okay, that's we just need to clarify that. Now we need to clarify uh, when you and I are going to talk again. Okay, because uh, you're you're heading somewhere sometime. I'll see you Saturday. Oh yeah, we'll see each other Saturday. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.